When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Paul, could we have a breaking news sound cue? Folks, we interrupt your originally scheduled programming today to bring you an important episode. As we record on January 7th, yesterday evening, the current president of the United States incited an invasion of the nation's capital, interrupting the largely ceremonial procedural process of certifying the recent presidential election. These insurgents, terrorists, mob, whatever you want to call them, stormed into the halls of Congress with tepid resistance, at times tacit assistance from law enforcement on the scene. And as we record today, the United States is in a state of turmoil. Its future is uncertain on a level not seen since the Civil War. This is not hyperbole. Here are the facts. 
So the U.S., um, you know, we've talked about the Electoral College. It's always been kind of a bit of a head scratcher. Um, but it is the system that we have where the voters sort of kind of a little bit elect a president every four years. Um, after individual votes from individual states are tallied, they go to that mystical body, the Electoral College, um, which is a body of um, electors that are appointed by their parties uh, or political machines. And then the electors cast votes on behalf of a state's voter. So they're almost like surrogates for the actual, you know, citizens that are that are casting the votes. Uh, those votes then go to Washington, D.C., where this largely ceremonial, I mean, entirely ceremonial uh, certification process uh, happens. It's been referred to that way by a lot of lawmakers where like, oh, in the age of the Internet, this is not a thing that we need to do. It's really just kind of like the new Congress. And it's like day one, a fresh start. We certify the election, peaceful transfer of power, move on with our lives in a positive direction. That's correct. And as you said, Noel, the Electoral College really is an episode all of its own. It's very controversial. It's a strange process. It doesn't feel necessary a lot of the time. Um, and there are a lot of problems with it and a lot of points of contention. And hopefully we will be covering that in the future for the next time we need to talk about all of this. And especially since things have gone so haywire. However, things were a little bit different this time. It didn't work the way it was supposed to. Forces both foreign and domestic, both sincere and sometimes sinister, sought to disrupt the process. And this is this is something that's been happening over the past several elections. It is a growing thing that we are seeing where, where forces outside want to disrupt. Foundations of geopolitics. I'm telling you, the Russian Alex Jones, Alexander Dugin. Uh, familiarize yourself with the book, check out our previous episode on the modern Rasputin. Yeah, allegations of fraud were widespread on both sides. This is uh, not too different from the 2016 election, yet the American public was increasingly radicalized and divided as never before. We were entering a post-truth era. For the first time in modern U.S. history, a sitting U.S. president has explicitly refused to acknowledge the results of the election. And yes, there was a statement issued, which we'll get to in uh, the second part of what will probably be a two-part episode. But I would, um, I would ask everybody to read the language of that statement carefully and say, you know, conclude for yourself whether or not you think that counts as an acknowledgement of results. All of this means that we are, spoiler alert, no longer on the established original timeline. The concept of the traditional transfer of power and the milestones date-wise for that transfer to occur uh, are under fire in a very real and literal way. So, what happened? Here's where it gets crazy. First, let's, let's look at a blow-by-blow of the day, and then we'll go back and look at some of the larger context here. There was a rally. On January 6th, Congress was tasked with certifying the results of the Electoral College. As we said earlier, this is largely procedural. C-SPAN probably got some great ratings when Congress finally resumed doing this uh, in the wee hours of uh, January 7th. 
As the date of this certification process approached, both Democratic and Republican politicians and officials and pundits traveled widely in person, on the radio, on the internet, on cable. Uh, They were trying to rally support for various things, including the recent senatorial runoff here in Georgia. And they wanted to show their support for or opposition to the official results of the election. And again, many people, many, many people, all or parts of this election were seen as fraudulent. No, not just, let's be fair, it's, they're not just people saying that um, the presidential election was rigged. There are people who are saying the Kentucky senatorial election was rigged or that the Georgia senatorial election was rigged. Arizona as well. Mm-hmm, and Pennsylvania. And on January 6, 2021, Around noon, the current president, Donald Trump, held a rally at uh, the Ellipse, I believe it's called, nearby the White House outside. And in this rally, he repeated his claims uh, that the election had been stolen from him. He even said it was – he said stuff like it's statistically impossible, that he didn't win, so on and so on. He called on VP Michael Pence to overturn the results. Uh, What – What he means when he says that is that in the electoral college process, in the certification process, the vice president is the person who ultimately signs off and certifies, yes, these certificates are legitimate. Therefore, we're calling the election for, you know, this new president and vice president. All he really has the power to do, though, is to say, oh, something's fishy and send it back to the states, correct? Uh, He can field objections if they are raised by other members of Congress, which uh, was set to occur. Uh, This is what the president was talking about at this time. And, you know, he had kind of a veiled warning for Pence talking about how much he likes Pence and then how he'll be very disappointed if Pence does not uh, overturn this. But I'm Fortunately, for for that side of the argument, uh, the vice president does not legally have the power to overturn this stuff. And in this in this rally, uh, Donald Trump also turned on officials in his own party, the GOP, the Republican Party, urging his supporters to march on the Capitol, telling them explicitly, I'll be with you. And it seems at Present, present as we record, it seems that many of these supporters, maybe not all, but many, had in fact come prepared to do just that. And we'll prove that uh, later in the show. I think maybe he meant I'll be with you in more of like a Mufasa and the Lion King kind of way, uh, only more of the like watching you on TV from a secret bunker kind of way. Perhaps, perhaps, uh, because despite his earlier statement, President Trump did not in fact accompany this uh, this crowd to the Capitol. And Pence had also earlier stated he would comply with the norms of the election process. This is a statement he later reiterated. And so that's that's the rally you may have heard about in the news yesterday and last night. And it was leading up. It was all leading up to January 6th. This was widely broadcast in various channels. Do you guys want to talk a little bit more about what happened at the rally? I don't know if I was just like out of the loop, but I didn't see the rally until after it's sort of in retrospect, in hindsight. Matt, I believe you you saw it when it was initially televised or you definitely took some really good notes on it. Well, I saw bits and pieces of it, but then today I rewatched it and I just want to discuss language and it's something we talk about on the show a lot and ideas and how a, a simple idea 
in someone's mind can trigger action. And I just want to talk about some of the the statements. Ben, you noted a bunch of them that President Trump said while he was there at that rally. Again, in extremely close proximity to the Capitol building where all of you know the electoral process was happening. Um, he he made a lot of statements there that were specific to the concept that the United States itself was under siege. He used that phrase, under siege, um, using the us versus them, where they rigged the election. They are stealing America right now. He said something, this, this is one specific quote, if we allow this group of people to illegally take over our country, and then he didn't finish that, thought he continued on with with another statement but i just want to talk about making a statement like that to someone who um believes in you as a speaker believes in you as a leader you are leaving open ended the the effect you're leaving open ended the conclusion to that statement so in the listener's mind the person there at that rally to the individual you kind of fill that in like if we don't go right now and we don't stop this then x is going to happen and a lot of a lot of times that becomes a worst case scenario situation at least in an individual's mind and i think that's one of the reasons why this was we're going to talk about it later but why why the some of the statements made at that rally were so dangerous mm. I see. Yeah, to to um, clearly dog whistle or signal what you want to occur, while also um, while while also phrasing it in such a way as to avoid accountability for one's statements at a future date. It's interesting too because just a few days prior, we had the leak of that uh, phone recording of Trump talking to our Secretary of State Raffensperger, where he used similarly veiled language. Um, he, it's it's likely he's aware of the possibility of being taped, and so he says things like, "Help me out, guys! Give me a cut, cut, cut me a break! All I need is ten thousand votes, etc." Uh, and and he speaks about these uh, this idea of the election being stolen. Um, like a true believer, like he, he really, and that's what makes it so difficult to separate. Like, is he actually threatening people? Is he actively spreading misinformation? Does he really believe these things? Um, and I think that's a, a really interesting part of this figure. Well, uh, in general. you know, unfortunately, because he is the president and because he is, you know, a leader that is looked up to by, you know, millions of other people. When you say something like, and we fight, we fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. That, huh? that kind of statement, no. it's just dangerous. Man. Or come tomorrow, it will be wild, which was another statement, not from the rally, but in advance of the rally. So, I, yeah, I think you're making a good case regarding the language there. And to be objective, there was not an explicit call for violence on the uh, on the president's side. But the but there was an explicit call to march to the Capitol. Was the intent on the executive uh, on the executive end was the intent to have a large peaceful demonstration outside the Capitol while the certification process was ongoing or was the intent to physically disrupt the process. The question of intent is one of the more difficult things to prove in a court of law. But regardless, 
Uh, if you guys are okay with it, I'd like to continue through the timeline here. I, I, yes, I absolutely. And I will just say one last thing, um, Matt, to your point about language and inciting. You know, you go from a statement like, uh, you know, if we, if we fight, we fight like hell, or if we don't, then we won't have a country, to some of the statements you heard some of these marchers saying to news reporters, things like, if our voices aren't heard today, tomorrow we bring our muskets. You know, so it's 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 like, I don't know, it's... It's hard. The intent of the uh, inciting moment is hard to discern, but what happened is not hard to discern. And all of the red flags that should have been seen months and months in advance, uh, it's it's shocking that they weren't. Yeah. And, uh, you know, conspiracy realist in a previous, uh, I don't remember whether it was an episode or a, a strange news segment, uh, I had I had asked I had asked us in the crowd uh, whether we considered some of the recent actions leading up to yesterday uh, indicative of an attempted coup. And now, uh, as we as we explore the timeline, blow by blow with you, based on what we know today, uh, like to hold that question in the front of your mind and see if your if your answer has changed. So, at one p.m. In the nearby capital, which I think as we established is walking distance from the White House, for anyone unfamiliar with the geography, Congress was counting and certifying the electoral votes. It is a, um, it is a process that is so um, formalized and ceremonial that what you see happen is uh, people go state by state and repeat the same language about – this uh, about how this certificate looks legit. And then at that point, every for each state, the vice president of the time asked the floor whether there are any objections. And if there are none heard, then he just says none heard and they move on. Uh, and as we said, they had been counting on some they had been counting on several objections, and they had had people in advance uh, say that they would object. This is the last procedural stop in the train before inaugurating the president-elect on January 20th. And in this case, it's uh, Joe Biden. But, you know, in 2016, the president-elect was Donald Trump. This just – this happens regardless of political party. At the time, going into this, at least 100 House representatives and – a dozen GOP senators were expected to object to the results of several states, including Arizona, Pennsylvania, and, of course, Georgia. Uh, the, when we say expected, what we mean is they were on record saying, I'm going to object. So it's not hearsay and it's not speculation. The first objection, predictably, came from an Arizona congressman, Republican Paul Gozer. He objected to the electoral uh, results of Arizona, surprise. He was joined in this objection by 60 uh, GOP House members and seven of those aforementioned senators. When these objections occur, this is going to be very important later. When these objections occur, here's what happens. This is part of the process. The Senate and the House of Representatives split. They go to their own physically separate chambers to debate the objection to weigh the credibility of this. And this is when what I would call the first turn of the day occurs. That's right. At about 1.30, police issued an order to evacuate um, both houses of the legislature as pro-Trump supporters 
began to clash with police outside of the Capitol building. Uh, and this started along a perimeter and then gradually spilled out into actually breaching the Capitol steps, which 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 pub- members of the public are not allowed on, by the way. Um, 45 minutes later at 2.15, Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma was interrupted during his remarks uh, with this information. And the Senate uh, was immediately pushed out into an emergency recess, forced to take an emergency recess, because these individuals, some of whom could possibly be referred to as, quote, finger protesters, uh, other of which we'll get into the logist- the legality behind certain terms, but there are other terms for what some of these people were. They had breached the actual building. No metal detectors, no pat-downs, nothing. Absolutely breached the building, and we're flooding in to the uh, the sculpture hall, I believe is what it's called. Yeah, and this is right about the time that at least I personally was glued to it was my phone. I was just watching a live feed of this going down. And it wasn't really until this moment around, you know, one thirty two p.m. that I think a lot of us across this country were were glued to some kind of media watching the events. And what we're going to do right now is take a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back to go through what happened next. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. And we've returned, not just to the show, but to this timeline. The vice president, Michael Pence, is ushered away by security. It's important to remember that at this point, he is no longer considered by many people in the crowd to be an ally of the current president. The Capitol is on lockdown at 2.24 p.m. President Trump hops on Twitter. This is when he could still use Twitter. And he turns on Pence explicitly, writing the following. Uh, Because this is serious, we're not going to, uh, I'm not going to do a silly voice at least, says the following, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our constitution, giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones which they were asked to previously certify. USA demands the truth. Six minutes later. The mayor of D.C., Muriel Bowser, orders a 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. curfew. These curfews should be familiar with anybody uh, who was living in a major metropolitan area in the U.S. during the uh, summer protest or the ongoing protest uh, throughout 2020 uh, when these curfews were uh, vigorously enforced by authorities in multiple cities. Uh, They were, spoiler alert, not as rigorously enforced in this case, which is just one small piece of a, of a larger question. And by as in this case, you mean compared to the summer when Black Lives Matter protesters were tear gassed en masse and uh, essentially a, a mobilized, a military force was mobilized against them. Um, you know, and obviously there was looting and there was bad behavior and, and there and there were, you know, there was violence, but it felt like a very disproportionate response is all I'm going to say. Yeah, not just not just uh, BLM protesting. That's a huge piece of it, but also ongoing protest in Portland, Oregon, uh, covered by our covered extensively by friends of ours, uh, especially Robert Evans uh, and his and his cohort who've done amazing work. Uh, Trump is still on Twitter at two thirty eight p.m. January 6th, when he tweets, please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. That's pre the video message, correct? Yes, that is correct. Got it. I I I think it's worth pointing out really quickly that like Pence has always been like it's a seemingly unimpeachable, uh, no pun intended, um, confidant to Trump and someone who is just a hardline follower and supporter of Trump. All it took was this one moment for him to be dead to the president. I just think that's interesting. And and I I can remember somebody in, in the coverage that I was watching pointed out that. Of, of all of Trump's qualities or things that he values and holds most highly and dear is loyalty. And the moment he sees someone as having breached his loyalty or, or betrayed his trust, they are immediately dead to him. Uh, and I think that's what you saw happen. And that's why Mike Pence all of a sudden went from being like Trump's guy to a target. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, because we, it's it's indicative of a larger pattern that we have seen throughout uh, the past four years. And this is not an opinion. This is a fact. The turnover has been profound. Now, there are supporters of the current administration who would, who would argue that turnover was necessary uh, because uh, these various officials were not doing their job. That's that's one viewpoint that we, they would have. There's the other viewpoint that they were fired because they were refusing to uh, disobey uh, you know, political norms or disobey uh, legal precedent. You know what I mean? That they were fired because they refused to violate the terms of their job. Uh, this, yeah, but you're right, Noel. This is really a culmination. I don't think it's surprising to anyone who is paying attention uh, to this pattern. And now we get to it. Between 2.45 and 3 p.m., not just the nation, but the world is glued to one screen or one speaker or another as the Capitol is breached. This is the first time the U.S. Capitol has been overrun since 1814 when British forces invaded and burned the place down. I don't mean they started a cool rave or a nice party. It was, it was literally lit and not in an enjoyable fashion. Was it destroyed to a significant degree and then had to be rebuilt, Ben? Yeah, in 1814... Uh, there was extensive damage. We have to remember the Capitol itself was still under construction at that moment in time, and it had been built with a lot of fireproof materials, you know, stone and so on. So uh, there was a lot of stuff that was still preserved, uh, but like glass was melted, statues were destroyed, thing paper was burned, of course, left and right. Uh, but the point about this is, this is not a normal thing, and it should not be normalized. It should not be taken as like, oh, well, the guys were right when they said we might look back on 2020 fondly. This is bad shit. And the Senate was evacuated before, uh, before the chambers of the Senate and the House were evacuated. People were like hunkering down, right? Luckily for history, one Senate aide had the quick thinking to or the presence of mind amid a crisis, which is a hard thing to to have. Uh, one Senate aide, she grabbed the electoral certificates or copies thereof because she was concerned that the mob, the invading insurgents, were aiming to physically destroy the votes as a way of preventing the electoral certification process, which to me is um, – not a very well thought out plan. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, Ben, we talked about the symbolic, the symbolic nature of this act. Uh, it's not like that would have actually accomplished anything, right? I mean, it's 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 codified in record somewhere. It's not like these are the only copies, and then what? We have to start all over again, or what? It would be more of a symbolic burning or a symbolic stealing, just as much as this act is a symbolic act. Correct? You know, I just want to say this is this is all about language and what we're talking about. The intentions of the people that did end up going to the Capitol and actually going inside and breaching it, as, as we're talking about here, they were told that they needed to stop it from happening. Right. And, um, you know, they were, they were told a lot of things that were not directly, hey, go and take those papers, you know, or, you know, do anything, don't hurt anybody. They were never told to physically hurt anyone, but they were told that they, we have to be strong. You have to show your strength. 
will um, you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong uh, saying uh, we will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. Our com- our country has having had enough. We will not take it anymore. That's what this is all about. So it's just when when you have all those things kind of in this soup of thought that you've just instilled in everybody. When there's physical action taking place, it's tough because you are you have to kind of you have to imagine that what this is what this is doing inside someone's head. We can't see inside any individual's head, but we know that this is pushing towards violence without saying physical violence. And then you got groupthink that plays into it pretty heavily or like you see one person jumping over the the rail. I'm going to do that too. That sounds like a great idea. Then before you know it, everyone's following suit. Then before you know it, everyone's on the steps. Then before you know it, people are smashing windows and escalating because one person sees it, follows the leader, you know, not man, not, you know, entirely calling into question these people's humanity or intelligence. I mean, maybe some of them, but the group think and mob mentality is real. And I've never seen it manifested in any clearer way than that footage. That's a piece of it. But I, I don't, I don't buy the idea that it was spontaneous nor organic to that degree. I have an excellent example of the kind of phenomenon that I believe you're alluding to, Matt, uh, and I do not want to poison the well. I looked into this and I was trying to find a good one-to-one example of that phenomenon. Again, not the characters involved. I'm not comparing the characters here. It's very important, folks. I'm comparing the psychological process. During the series of... uh, Attacks and murders collectively known as Helter Skelter today, Charles Manson and the legal teams prosecuting him found themselves in a a very strange pickle because, you see, Manson did not himself physically attack or murder his victims. In fact, there was a, a, a long conversation in jurisprudence here, about what it was that Manson specifically did. He had radicalized a group of psychologically vulnerable people. Uh, He had pushed them further and further toward extremism. And in interviews, if you don't believe me, you can pause this episode right now. You can go to YouTube. You can watch the interviews with Charles Manson on tape in prison where he says that he did, I think he says, I didn't do anything but write a couple of bad checks. I didn't tell these people to kill somebody. I said, if if someone were to do it, if I were to do it, I would leave, uh, his specific quote is, I would leave something witchy. And so here we see, and Matt, I don't know if you agree. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to read your body, your uh, facial expression here, but uh, I think that is a good analogy because Manson, per his account, did not specifically tell people to do the things. I, I totally hear what you're saying, and I can see the similarities there. For me, this is of a lesser extent than that, what the president said, because he was extremely careful in a lot of that. It was writing that line. This is why it's similar. It was writing the line between telling people to go do something violent. That's what and, I'm saying. Or or even saying a violent thing. Because he's not saying a violent thing. He's saying more abstract things. Like, mm. we have to fight for our country. Our country's going to be gone, you know. If we don't fight, we're going to lose the country. Um, they're taking over. We've got to... He's not saying, like, we got to go and stop this by doing this or anything like that. Yeah, but keep in mind, I mean... 
we're we're one of the most warlike countries on earth and we call the uh we we call the the apparatus that wages many of these wars the department of defense we know the language game you're right because the individual maybe does not that's standing there in that in that at that rally does not un- fully understand that but th- that's the tricky part too when it comes to language um you can't really uh you can't really impart your own interpretation of someone's intent if they're not actually outright saying the thing. So like the idea of sedition is to um, incite revolt uh, or, or a violent act against an authority uh, figure, lawfully elected authority or a, an institution um, with the intent, a goal of destroying it. And, you know, the way Trump's, Supporters reacted to his words are one thing, but Trump's words themselves, I think it might be hard to pin something like sedition on his actual words. In this case. (laughs) And and to be clear, the last thing, Ben, to be clear, the last thing that was said by the president, I'm going to read this to to be clear and and a bit fair here. Um, This is the statement. Our exciting adventures and boldest endeavors have yet have not yet begun my fellow Americans for our movement, our children and for our beloved country. And I say this, despite all that's happened, the best is yet to come. We're going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue and we're going to the Capitol and we're going to try to give, uh, he said some stuff about Democrats, but he says, we're going to try and give the Republicans the kind of pride and boldness they need to take back our country. So he is specifically saying we're going to go support the Republicans. And then what what played afterwards that? YMCA. I thought he was uh, he was uh, barred from using that. There have been a handful of times where he's he's had songs that he's used at rallies and the artists have uh, issued cease and desist. For some reason, I thought YMCA was one of them. But maybe the village people need the cash. Or how do you even get cash from being played at a rally? Does that work? I don't it know goes it, it goes back to licensing and that whoever owns the rights. Right. So Ask oftentimes, yeah, oftentimes it's not the artist. Spoiler. Almost but, always. <laughs> but uh, in the case of um, – illegal or in case of like illegal use of a song that kind of took a back burner yeah after what we're going to talk about no doubt so uh back to where we were the senate evacuated things are going down uh there's this plan that uh what was i going to say oh so we have to put in our requisite always sunny in Philadelphia reference. There's a uh, there's one episode. I can't remember which one it is, folks. Uh, tell us if you remember off the top of your head. Uh, there's one episode where there's this running joke that the uh, the folks the hesitate to call them protagonists, the principal characters of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, are trying to uh, obliviate and invalidate signed contracts by eating them. And that's like their number one go-to nuclear move. And so destroying physical copies of these votes like this, uh, it is – it's akin to that because it could delay the process for sure. It could for sure, but it doesn't doesn't automatically invalidate what happened. And so the remaining members of the House of Representatives are in a very bad spot. They are told to take cover and to don gas masks before they are being escorted out. And I want to be very clear, this is all sides of the political aisle. Democrat, Republican, Independent, everybody's getting evacuated. There's no one 
in the halls of Congress who is like, this is super chill and cool and I'm picking up some relaxed vibes. Does anybody have a hostess cupcake? No. They were panicking and fearing for their lives increasingly. If you've seen any of the photographs that came out during that time, they're, they're stunning. They're literally people cowering as though there's an active shooter situation going on, like ducking down behind these rows of seats that line the, the hall. Um, it's, a, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to look at. And some of the invaders made it to the Senate floor. Uh, we'll talk. We'll talk just just a second. We'll rewind and talk about how this entry occurred. But right now, to your point, Noel, you can see multiple images uh, throughout this breach and occupation. Uh, you can see. Law enforcement inside the House chamber, House of Reps chamber, guns drawn, the doors barricaded. In fact, recently uh, I I saw something that was pretty fascinating. There's one now famous picture of people uh, of law enforcement aiming guns through the broken areas of a door, and then there's another picture from the other side of like through the hole. Of the of the people with the guns trained, uh, and you can I mean there are so many pictures, but I think if we're now that we're mentioning the breach, I think if you guys are okay with it, uh, we need to talk a little bit about how that breach went down because this is supposed to be one of the most secure uh, buildings on in the country, right? Like like in D.C., let alone in the country. I mean, for I'm trying hard not to curse you guys, but for Pete's sake. And I hope that makes your day. If anyone listening to this is named Pete, for your sake, dude, uh, we like our studio is kind of hard to get into. We have to like if we if Matt or Noel or Mission Control or I uh, forget our little security uh, things, then we have to figure out how to like call one of our friends to come let us in. Oh man, yeah, I was up there recently with a with a with a, 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 a guy I'm working on a show with, and I had left, and we left at the same time, and I'm I got home, and he calls me and tells me he left his keys in there. And it took an hour and a half to, for me to get someone to. I couldn't come back. I was I was occupied. Uh, I had to call uh, like a security. I had to call a security. <laughs> I had to call a security person who then had to confirm his identity. A uh, literally, I mean, like with an ID, and then get confirmation through our office manager from me to allow him and escort him into the office to get his keys and then escort him out. So Ben, you talk about how did this breach occur, like. Isn't it still kind of a mystery? Are we speculating here? Because if I feel like there's, you know, there's a lot of unknowns here as to how this breach occurred. Yeah, we're going to talk about all that uh, coming up very soon. Just to point out, we have a private security company that works in our building where we have that office. The Capitol and the other government buildings within Washington, D.C. have an entire police force of 2,000 individuals that work for them. What, do they just get the day off or something? Well, they're the Capitol Police. They're the Metropolitan Police. Look, D.C., when it comes to law enforcement and security, is this weird mixtape of fiefdoms. Is probably the best way to describe it. Um, what are we talking about, though? We'll tell you. We're diving into the breach after a word from our sponsors. 
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. Podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424. Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. We've returned. So there's a a weird, at times funny, at times tragic phenomenon that occurs when multiple mainstream news outlets are covering the same story, they start to use the same language. Sometimes this becomes an example of a thought terminating cliche and there's some information control. And then sometimes it's just because people are pulling from these same primary sources, right? So one of the big words that became very popular and widespread over the past 24 hours And if you read the right stuff, uh, in the weeks leading up to this, that word was breach. This, uh, This attack was brought to you by the letter B. Law enforcement has been roundly criticized 
as this began, they were roundly criticized even before the march to the Capitol for the quote-unquote resistance they gave these rioters, these insurrectionists, if you can call it that. One of the gates near the Capitol was open when this when this group approached. Uh, the mob was literally ushered in by members of law enforcement. Police forces, in some cases, not confirmed yet, but all, they also seem to have uh, removed some barricades. Uh, the extremists were removing their own as well. Uh, they took down some others. You can see the photos of these people climbing walls. That's not made up. It's not Photoshop. It happened. Uh, and we can confirm claims from numerous sources on from social media and from on-the-ground observers. This was nowhere near the level of security that uh, that occurred at those earlier protests in 2020. Nowhere near. Like I, I don't I, I don't even know what the plan was on the part of law enforcement and a lot of the statements. I don't know about you guys, but a lot of the statements I've seen by law enforcement officials. Uh, in the wake of this event, they're not super persuasive. They don't sound like a good plan. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, w- I would agree with you, Ben. It The numbers of law enforcement in the area at the time were drawn down a bit. And I think this is what this would be my opinion. I think the reaction to the earlier protests, the actions that were taken as a result of those protests, um, to to draw down on the militant force of police uh, police departments across the country, at, at, at least that I believe. I mean, you can look at Atlanta and look at our police force, and look at a bunch of other cities, including Washington D.C., and just see how much of an impact these other protests have had throughout the year, and specifically on you know uh, the the response of police forces and things like calling in the national guard, calling in additional police departments for assistance. I think in my opinion, this was in a way a response to those earlier protests or the response to the response of the protests. I see trying to be, um, seeming like less belligerent. Yes. We're, we're not, we're not coming out as a militant police force to, you know, stop you from from protesting something. Um, but you only had but, to do with the fact that everyone was white. That's the big but in of this scenario. I don't think you can look at this objectively and <laughs> fully think what I just said, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I think sure. that's a portion of it. Yeah, we also have to consider, you know, um, this is something we'll explore further in depth in part two of of our episode here, but uh, the factions that were assembled were, they weren't all from the same place. You know, there were were organizations like the the so-called Proud Boys, which I still, it's just such a terrible name, just from a PR perspective. Uh, There are white nationalists, supremacists, you know what I mean? And there are also people who are not identify with those groups. But yeah, you'll see Confederate flags waving. You'll see... Oath Keepers? <sighs> Isn't that another faction? Oath Keepers was mm-hmm. one, yeah. And, well, so, and, and and we have to acknowledge this. There are everyday American citizens who are there who just believe right. in, in the sitting president and the movement mm-hmm. and the rhetoric 
and what is being stated. They just believe, and they're not affiliated, like you said. They they're just everyday people. Some or of even that. just just as policies. You know what I mean? Like some, I was talking to my mom, and we were at odds about a lot of this stuff. And she now feels a little differently, but she said I just liked his policies. I felt like they were good for me and my money and 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 things that are important to me. So yeah, that's what I was trying to say uh, just a second ago. Yeah, there are there are policies, and I hope we did that with the. Um, I hope we did that earlier in the episode where we said, you know, not all of these people who attended a rally did so with the plan of storming the capital of the United States. It would be misleading to say that was the case, but it would likewise be misleading uh, and disingenuous to say that there weren't people showing up with that plan. And we'll tell you exactly why we know that uh, and why that is a proven fact uh, just, again, a bit later in this episode. So back to this breach. Yes, one of the gates is open. Yes, members of law enforcement, again, not all are are on tape or are documented assisting uh, these folks, right, in their entrance of the Capitol. Uh, the resistance by law enforcement is nowhere near the level of aggressiveness applied to earlier protests in 2020 in multiple cities, as you said, Matt, and that, that is simply factual. Uh, the reasons for that, Mm, there are a couple of possibilities. That's the most diplomatic thing we can say. Uh, you know, is it race-based? Is it a reaction to the public outcry of the way that um, law enforcement had handled previous protests? Is it something else? There was no initial deployment of crowd dispersal techniques. We've talked about these in the past. No sonic weapons, no rubber bullets. Uh, this was in clear contrast to the treatment of earlier protesters. So, Matt, maybe you're right. Maybe that's maybe that's a piece of it. I mean, there was tear gas pretty early on, but after but it they wasn't had breached. From, it wasn't from law. The, the first stuff was um, not tear gas. There were some chemical irritants dispersed. Yeah, I, I, like yeah. pepper spray, mace. Pepper spray. Exactly. Pepper spray, mace, and then tear gas later. Tear gas uh, later, yes, yeah, yeah, and flashbangs and and, and the mm -hmm. like, yeah. mm -hmm. and the the tear gas uh, the tear gas dispersal. I think, yeah, as you said, Matt, it comes it comes later in the timeline. It so, certainly wasn't for the benefit of uh, allowing a photo opportunity to happen, right? So, where is the National Guard? You might say. Uh, we have so many of them because states have their own National Guards and Washington, D.C. is surrounded by, you guessed it, states. Uh, the Capitol Police and Metropolitan Police who were in place in advance of this, uh, there's several hundred, but they're far less than were on duty at the BLM protest, Black Lives Matter protest, and they are far, far outnumbered by the thousands of people who are uh, surrounding when they're attempting to uh, encroach upon the Capitol. Uh, on Tuesday, the day before this all happened, the mayor announced D.C. Metro Police would be the lead agency and they coordinate with the Capitol Police, U.S. Park Police, and the Secret Service. They got some limited support from the D.C. National Guard, 340 people, I think. But those folks were unarmed. You know what their job was? They were supposed to help with traffic flow. Because as anybody who's been in the Beltway can tell you, uh, D.C. traffic is terrible. Um, last time, Matt, you and I were up there, we, we were very fortunate to have a friend on the ground <laughs> who drove us around and parked for us because we didn't know what the hell was going on. It's very true. And that that number, 340, is we're going to talk about was much fewer than the number of National Guard that would generally be 
you know, sent out in that area as a response. And according to officials, the reason why there were so few members of the National Guard actually sent there and the reason that they were unarmed was because of the response to earlier protests. At least that's that's what's been stated. And, and, and if I'm not mistaken, there is also a bit of a discrepancy as to the timeline of when they were called upon. Like there there was a, there was a report that I heard early on that the the uh, president was refusing to call upon them or, or, or something like that. Like there were there was definitely a bit of a late to the party situation. And then ultimately, I believe it was Pence that called upon them. Yeah, I found this out and confirmed it on Twitter yesterday. So the um, if you look at the defense.gov and the PR releases, um, while there was still sort of a fog of war and immediate you know disaster clouding our access to information, if you go online, um, I, I posted this, Ben Bolin, HSW on Twitter.com, you can see a statement by Acting Secretary Miller on how the D.C. National Guard was fully activated. They did not speak with President Trump. They spoke with Vice President Pence as well as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, Leader Mitch McConnell, Senator Schumer, and Representative Hoyer. And those are the folks who greenlit this. Uh, the president was not involved in the conversation, possibly uh, for any number of reasons, some more plausible than others, all at the present moment speculative. And it's very important for us to say that because what we've recounted so far, folks, are the facts this is what happened. We've given timestamps where applicable and available. We know there was originally reported, to your point, Noel, that the current president uh, refused to authorize it or like the DOD refused to authorize it. But per the DOD's own statements, it was indeed Vice President Pence who authorized and questions about how this occurred or how this transpired, remain unanswered as we record today, which brings us to one uh, crucial point we need to make in today's episode. So we were learning about this and the actual events at the same time a lot of people across the planet were. And like, it seems that we, like multiple uh, intelligence agencies, like multiple uh, Excellent journalists, like multiple, like Ukrainian news services knew uh, knew this was going to happen. We had been, like basically everybody except for the folks in charge of law enforcement in D.C., we knew something, there, there was a huge likelihood of something uh, chaotic happening, but this is ongoing. And so when we go to part two of this, we're going to be talking about things uh, as best we can in, in a factual manner based on what we can prove. We're going to introduce some of the speculation. Some of this speculation may well be answered uh, by the time this episode comes out on – our second episode comes out on Monday, January 10th. All the things that you just said, Ben, I think really beg the question. Like we were talking off air. I mean there's more security – on that building in peak tourist season, you know, than there is, than there was that day. So to, to me, and I, and I, I we, we've all kind of chimed in on this a little bit. It begs the question, like who knew what, when, and did people do things on purpose to allow this to happen? People in power. Yeah. We're, we're going to talk about that next week. We would just ask that over the weekend, keep your ear to the ground and to whatever, you know, eight news sources you choose to <laughs> to get your information from. 
just just keep listening, keep watching, and uh, we'll talk about it together on Monday. And you all know this, but I mean, just diversify your news sources. You know, like you said, there's an echo chamber effect when you have live coverage of things like this, where even whether parallel thinking or uh, like the thought terminating cliche terms start getting kind of overlapping. So I, th- I think it's important to have a diversity of perspective on these things and just to, you know, make up your own mind. And I'd like to give a personal thank you to all of the people who were literally risking life and limb to report on this from the ground. Uh, the excellent work by outfits like ProPublica, the excellent work at Bellingcat, the excellent work by uh, some of our peer podcasters. In this regard, uh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your experience. And we are exploring this further in episode two. Odds are uh, that some of the uh, things you may have asked yourself listening along to today's episode are going to be answered uh, or explored in episode two. So please do tune in. In the meantime, if you haven't heard it yet, check out our episodes on the foundation of geopolitics. Check out our episodes on infiltration of the military. And uh, check out our uh, check out our previous episode on the controversy of the Twenty Fifth Amendment. How do I get in touch with you? You might be asking yourself. Well, uh, that's something we can definitively answer, and we could do it right now. We don't have to wait for part two. Yeah, you can get with us on the usual social media channels: Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Why not give a look at our Facebook group? Here's where it gets crazy. That's a great idea. If you don't want to use Facebook, though, you can give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. You can leave a message. We will hear it, and it might end up on one of our listener mail shows. Just let us know if you don't want us to use your voice or you don't want us to use your name. Any specifics like that would be good. I also want to give a huge shout out to Emily, who sent us a fantastic email, which is another way you can contact us. Uh, she sent us an email with all kinds of great uh, links to the, the story that we're talking about today. Uh, she was following it along as we were and just sending us all kinds of great stuff. So thank you, Emily. If you want to be like her, you can always contact us the good old-fashioned way. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality potency and consistency scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality visit lazarusnaturals.com today lazarus naturals committed to improving your life as well as the world around you not available in idaho iowa or south dakota
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.